Our scripture passage today <clears throat> comes uh, from, first, uh, from Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Listen for the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those words from those two passages are just powerful. Picturing Christians celebrating with an indescribable joy and then challenging them, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It is written not as a suggestion, it is a command. Rejoice. See, I think joy is a spiritual practice. When we think about spiritual practices, we may think about uh, scripture uh, study or praying or tithing or fasting. Okay, maybe not this time of year fasting, but spiritual practices that make us more sensitive, more alert, more able. But do we talk enough about the spiritual practice of celebrating in joy? The traditional catechism since the time of John Calvin uh, asked the question, what is the chief end of man? Which is to say, what's the, what's the goal of human life? And it says, to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Well, we glorify God, but do we enjoy God? Do we practice that joy that God brings to us? That's what we're going to be doing in heaven forever. Shouldn't we start practicing more now? Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Advent's our time to prepare ourselves and our world for the coming of the Lord. Advent's a time to practice certain attitudes and orientations that make us sensitive so that when Jesus comes again, we can spot him. If that's the case, then we need to take joy seriously. Now, I know some people may not have thought about this, and some people may not even be comfortable with this idea. After all, we are Presbyterians, the original frozen chosen. We like our religion like our breakfast. I mean, what is oatmeal but Calvinism in a box? <laughs> I had one brilliant preaching professor. I mean, I learned so much from this man. But one thing he said that I never got right. He was insistent that a good preacher should never make the congregation laugh. I must be such a disappointment to him. 
There are many people who have been taught that to be truly spiritual, we must be serious, as if God never wants us to laugh. But I would invite you to go back to the story of Moses and Aaron. When God gives the blessing to Aaron that Aaron is to give to the priests and the priests have been giving to the people ever since and sometimes the choir sings it, you know that blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. I mean, what's that really saying? But may God smile upon you. Well, if God's smiling, God must have a sense of humor. What about us? Do we take time living in the smile of God that is blessing us in our lives? Are we ready to rejoice and see what God is doing in the world? I think seriousness, sometimes, of course, it's called for, but serious can also be a barrier to our spiritual growth because sometimes seriousness intensifies our anxiety and then the little dramas of our lives make us even more fearful and more anxious. No one, of course, is more ultra-serious than the scribes and the Pharisees who are always criticizing Jesus. I think their ultimate slam of Jesus is when they say of him, look at him, he eats and drinks with sinners. He's a drunkard. Have you ever thought about the other side of that story? It wasn't that Jesus just lowered himself to eat and drink with the sinners. It's that the drunkards and the sinners liked Jesus enough to invite him and not the scribes and the Pharisees. They wouldn't have done it if they couldn't laugh with him. Frederick Beekner writes that when Jesus said, blessed are those who take no offense at me, what he really means is blessed are those who get the joke. When we take the blinders off of our ideology against laughter and joy, you see, in fact, that the Bible has 23 different words and phrases for the concept of joy. 23 different ones. That's a deep exploration of what joy is about. Joy is pervasive in the Bible, and it's about an attitude and actions that we can have as a spiritual practice to help us draw closer to God and to be ready to see what God is doing in the world. Go beyond the Bible and you see in the medieval church, the poet Dante is well known still. Over 700 years ago, he wrote, he wrote the Inferno and people know about that. Uh, they know about those images of, of demons and the lake of fire and those sorts of things. Um, they're, they're aware of that, but are Christians aware of the rest of the story? I mean, part one of Dante's poem was the Inferno, but part two, was the divine comedy. And, and as Dante writes, that as, uh, as, as, his, as his prime character was drawn out of the inferno and up towards heaven and seeing the, the spirals of heaven that, that are leading toward God, he hears the laughter of the universe. 700 years ago, he's writing about the laughter of the universe. Have we heard that laughter yet? People talk about the seven deadly sins and the seven saving virtues, but I want to add an eighth saving virtue. I think laughter is a saving virtue. 
that helps us to practice the joy that we need to have in our lives, to be ready to see and to perceive the coming of the Christ. Rejoice again, rejoice. Soren Kierkegaard, the dour Danish philosopher, even he said, quote, the more thoroughly and substantially a human being exists, the more he will discover the comical. Rejoice, joy, laughter. What does it do? How does it shape us? I start with Mother Teresa, who said, always meet each other with a smile, for a smile is the beginning of love. Isn't that true? And I look at Zora Neale Hurston, who said of love, love makes your soul crawl out from its hiding place. It's not just love that helps us crawl out from our hiding place, but laughter helps us to come out and greet one another and embrace one another. Rejoicing takes hearts that have turned icy cold and melts them like butter on a hot stove. When we laugh, we light up, we lighten up, we feel more positive, more hopeful, more resourceful, more alive. We can see the contradictions and absurdities of situations, and we can laugh at our own mistakes as well as laugh with others. Now notice it's not laughing at others, but laughing with others. As we discover that when we take ourselves too seriously, we miss what is going on in the world. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters says that humor gives us a sense of proportion to see ourselves from the outside, from a different perspective. True joy is, is not just a fleeting moment of lightheartedness, but a perspective on the whole of life. Joy, laughter, and humor, they lampoon the categories that we come up with, the hierarchies and the systems that we develop by which we think we have captured all truth. And because we already have all truth, why do we really need God? Humor helps us laugh at ourselves at such pomposity. And joy prepares us for the message of Christmas. That message of Christmas, be ready. Be ready because God is about to be born anew in Jesus Christ. He's, if he's about to be born anew in Jesus Christ, then we need to expect the unexpected. And who helps us to expect the unexpected better than, 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 than laughter that comes from, uh, from joy, even comedy? Ebenezer Scrooge, he, he's imprisoned himself in a prison of his own making. And, and you, you, you go down into the, 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 the depths of, of his ex exploration of himself until he wakes up on Christmas morning and he opens up the window on his balcony and he, and he sees a passing boy and he yells, you there boy, what day is it? And the boy looks up and says, what day is it? Why, it's Christmas. And Scrooge laughs with delight. He says, what a remarkable lad. Right there, right there, you feel the lump in your throat because you know that Scrooge hasn't just woken up to another morning. He's woken up to a whole new world. You see it in his laughter. What can practicing joy do? Social psychologist Golden, uh, Gordon Alport says that humor functions to integrate the personality, to dispose of all conflicts, those things that do not really matter. 
Laughter, laughter helps us to see just how much they don't matter. Which is to say humor can help us get over some of the petty insults that we receive every day in our lives and live differently. Laughter has a redemptive quality. The one who makes us laugh offers us just this taste of salvation. If you want to connect with someone, make them laugh. If you want to take someone out of a miserable mindset, make them laugh. If you want to heal someone just a bit, make them laugh. Now, some people are natural comedians, about one-tenth of one percent. The rest of us have to work at it, to work at sharing joy and helping people experience the joyfulness of, night, of life. I want to suggest that maybe comedians have something to teach us Christians that we need to know more deeply. Number one, comedians would tell you if you want to make people laugh, you have to practice. I like Jerry Seinfeld telling the story. He had a two-minute bit on Pop-Tarts, and, and he worked on that bit for two years. It's hysterical. I, I, I want to ask the question, do you have a story of God's love that you've worked on so well it makes people laugh when you tell it? If not, think about that. Work on it. Find those ways of sharing that love because you're a vessel of God's joy in the world. Rejoice always in your life. Share that joy. It takes practice. Jim Carrey is a, a comedian that is, uh, you know, obviously very goofy. Um, but, but in his younger days, he wasn't uh, connecting so well with the audience. They weren't laughing. So he spent time listening to people. And what he found out was that people were so worried about their lives, so anxious and so tense. And so he came up with this goofy character that just makes people laugh because obviously he's the goofiest one in the room and so if he lightens up then everybody else can lighten up with him. So that story, he listened to people before he made them laugh. Have we listened well to people to know deeply their hurts and, and their hopes, their anxieties and, and what they are all about? And when we know that, can we connect that with Christ's message? That's where we bring the joy and, and embody the joy in our world. Love one another means listen to one another, pay attention. Then we can bring the joy. Thirdly, great comedians know that people laugh when the unexpected happens. The, 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 the formula for comedy is one plus one equals banana peel, right? A story that makes us laugh is always one where the unexpected happens. The great essayist James Thurber uh, was in a situation that was very tense and people were, were, were talking in all these tense tones and, 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 and so upset and, and, and then there was a one young woman who very pompously said to the group, we are not going to hide our heads in the sand like kangaroos. Thurber said he never forgot those words. And any time in his life when, when people were getting tense and, and all upset with one another, he would picture those kangaroos with their heads in the sand. 
He was saved by the simile and the unexpected twist. If we're to be ready for Christmas, are we ready for the twist in the divine comedy that God gives us for our life to see the world anew, to get out of ourselves and to see the possibilities? In medieval times, there was a special festival called the Feast of Innocence. For one day, the grandeur of the holy office of bishop uh, in, in all his regalia and throne and, and, and with his, uh, his, his reigning uh, scepter, um, that, that one day it was suspended and in his place they put a child on the bishop's throne. For that one day they experienced the playful innocence of childhood. I had something of that kind of experience happen a few years ago. We were planning the children's Christmas pageant. We had a whole lot of children. It was a big production, but we were ready. We had the music, we had the costumes. Everyone had a part to play. We knew the scripts. We need to have Joseph, we needed to have Mary. We needed three wise guys, a choir of angels, a shepherds, a choir of shepherds, and all the animals, the donkeys, the ox, the sheep, lots of sheep, the cast of usual characters. And we asked all the children what part they wanted to play and, and we gave them their costumes until the last little girl, when we asked her what part she wanted to play, she looked up and said, I want to be the kitty. And we said, there is no kitty in the Christmas pageant. And we laughed and she was insistent and said, no, there was a pageant, there was, there was a kitty at Bethlehem. And so that year, alongside of Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the angels and all the animals, there purred for the first time, the Christmas kitty. So as God's divine tragedy or comedy works out in your life, are you open to changing your script, to making way for something new, the innocence of a child, to speak and make you think anew? Are you ready and able to say there's times and parts of our lives where we're being childish when we really need to be childlike, to be open to playing with the script of our lives and to see ourselves anew? Are we ready to make room for more rejoicing? God gives us the birth of Jesus Christ, not just as an event that happened long ago, but God gives us the birth of Jesus to tell us that God is able to do something new in our lives and in our world. Life is full of so many disappointments and tragedies, but then Jesus shows up. And as the hymn says so beautifully, where meek hearts will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Expect the unexpected this Christmas. Expect that Jesus Christ will show up. Expect that Jesus will give us a new beginning. Be ready to embrace it. Practice joy so that we may be truly open to seeing and perceiving that Christ has come into our lives, into our hearts, and into our world anew. Rejoice, I say again, Rejoice. Amen.